Well, hi, everyone. It's good to be back with you. Thanks for having me back. Um, it's a delight to worship with you, to, to gather as the, the Lord's people and praise to our King and to receive his ministry is, is a joy that we get to do. It's a privilege. And so I'm, I'm privileged to be here. So thank you again for welcoming me back to be part of Good News NYC on this Sunday. So I ask you, I begin with a question. Maybe it's a little bit of a vague question to you. But my question, uh, my question is, uh, I, I'll have to remember to, to stay tethered to my microphone. What's your story? Um, when you get up in the morning, what is your life about? Now, you already might be like pushing back or, you know, man, I get up, I've got responsibilities, you know, work, pressure, expectations, a family, kids, life, expenses. I'm just trying to keep things together, right? You know, I ain't got time to sit around pondering existential questions, you know, about the meaning of life. Okay, if that's where you're at, fair enough, but right there, that's a story. Um, that's what your life is about. Whether we're being reflective or not, uh, we are living a story. Uh, there is a reason we make the big decisions we make and the everyday smaller decisions. There's something we are, you are telling yourselves about your lives and what gives them value and, and what it is that you're striving for. And it could be what that story could be the default story that our society is writing for you. And uh, the one it tells you that your lives are about and you're just doing your best to just kind of keep up, hold on, to live that story or to live a part of that story. And we adopt that cultural narrative, that story, and we make it our own. So again, now I ask you, who is the author of your story? So this is from the great um, English writer of the 20th century, G.K. Chesterton. He said, I had always felt life first as a story, and if there is a story, there is a storyteller. Um, and my story right now at this moment is that I left my reading glasses in my backpack, so I'm gonna go get them so I can read my text. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our text uh, this morning is Mark uh, chapter 14, verses 27 to 42. Mark chapter 14, the gospel according to Mark. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. 
And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he, and, and he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. So, our reading this morning brings us to really the most significant events that have ever taken place. This is the Thursday night on which Jesus is arrested, um, and before the night before which he dies and hang, hanging on a cross. And we can divide our reading into two parts, the heart of man and the heart of God. Though it's actually not quite so neat and distinct because we only know our own hearts as we know God. And Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man. Still, it's a way to kind of organize our reading, gives us a little structure for us to kind of enter into it. So Jesus says to his guys, it's about to go down. <laughs> and you're all going to abandon me. You're going to f fall and you're going to fail. And Peter says, maybe all the rest of them, but not me. I've got your back, Jesus. I'm with you all the way. And Jesus says to him, oh, Peter, Peter, tonight, within a, a few hours, you will deny even knowing me three times. Peter says, you've got me all wrong. I'm ready to die with you. I'm going to show you what I'm all about. I will never, ever disown you. I will not let you down. And it says in the text that he is emphatic. Jesus knows Peter. Peter doesn't know Peter. You don't know you. You're just as emphatic as Peter that you know. But you don't know. We think just like Peter that everyone else doesn't know himself. They're all going to fail you, Jesus. Everyone else can't see himself or herself the way he or she is. But we know ourselves. We don't know. And that's really hard for you to accept. It's hard for me to accept. In theory, we know it's true. But in the moment, in the specific, in the nitty-gritty of life, we don't believe it. We just don't. But Jeremiah 17.9 always proves true. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalm 19.12 says, Who can discern his own errors? So you might be familiar with Jeremiah 17.9. That's a verse kind of known. 
Maybe. But what does Jeremiah 17.10 say? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Peter doesn't know Peter, but Jesus does know Peter. Every word that he speaks to Peter and about Peter is realized exactly as he, as he says. Jesus knows you. The Lord knows you. God knows you. And this word that we have right here <laughs> tells us about ourselves in a way that we would never, ever know. <laughs> right? When we look into it, right, we, what we find is a mirror to our souls that kind of shows us the way we are. And so it's imperative that you spend time with the Lord through his word and by his spirit who applies his word to have him tell you about you, to have him search your heart, to have him examine you. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. You know my heart. Search me, O God. Try me and, and, and know my thoughts. See if there be any offensive, any grievous way in me, and lead me. You lead me because you know me, because you search me in the way everlasting. Lord, tell me about me. I don't know, but you know. <laughs> you know, sovereign Lord. And if you and I don't do that, we will walk around emphatically believing things about ourselves that are the exact opposite of what's true. <laughs> we will be emphatic in things that are absolutely false. Now, knowing ourselves isn't something that we do on our own, but with others together. And so it says in Hebrews 3, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's deceitfulness tells us lies that resonate with our sinful hearts to turn us away from the living God. Right? There's, 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 there's like, it's like a conspiracy. Right? And one of the primary ways our own hearts are searched by the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, is through others who themselves are having their hearts searched by the Spirit of God, according to the work of God. Right? According to Hebrews, we need that, those, you know, we need one another, and we actually need that every day. It says that. Exhort one another daily. That's remarkable. It says the fellowship of the church, the real, not like, you know, like, like hey, what's up? Like, the real fellowship of the, of the brothers and sisters in Christ that the Lord has united you to is necessary as, as a part of of you knowing you the way God knows you and wants you to know yourself, that exhort one another daily. And so the Lord gives us his word, he gives us his spirit, and he gives us his people so that we might see ourselves through his eyes. Right? And so this is, and this, is at the, this is in some sense at the core of what it means to live out our salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to to his pleasure. Brothers and sisters, take these matters to heart. Peter was adamant that he knew himself. And unsurprisingly, Jesus was right and Peter is wrong. Jesus is right and you and I are wrong. 
but we go to him. Now, one of the reasons that Peter didn't know himself is because he didn't know Jesus. Well, let me, he didn't know Jesus in the way that he thought he knew Jesus, right? right? And so, up until this point in time, from the time that, that Jesus first called Peter, Peter knew that Jesus is the one that he must follow, that, he must, that he's the one that he must bind himself to. In John chapter 6, Jesus is making all of these offensive statements. And people are leaving. And, and then he makes another statement that's even more offensive, and more people leave. And at one point, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, will you leave too? And Peter answers. He's like, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Like, where are we going? If it's not you, then to whom shall we go? So there's a title of a book that I commend to you, and I commend it to any maybe young person in your life, like a, you know, a high school student, college student, young adult. But again, I commend it. You guys are all young adults anyway. Uh, so I commend it to everybody. And the title of the book is Christ or Chaos. And that's the reality. It's either Jesus or it's the meaningless, empty, chaotic void. There's no door number three. There's no third option. And Peter, Peter gets that. And I trust that many of you get that too. Because on some level, it's kind of what it means to be a Christian. To get that. It's, it's, it's Jesus or nothing. If I don't have you, I, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know how to make sense of anything. So, so Peter gets that. But right here, right at the end, right, he's been walking, he's been following Jesus for three years. And right here at the very end, the Jesus who is the real one turns out to be different. The Lord of glory, the incarnate Son of God, turns out to be different from the Jesus Peter expects. So that ultimately, Peter ends up being repelled, offended, and segregating himself, separating himself from Jesus when confronted with having to make a choice. He didn't know that about himself. Right? He wouldn't have, he obviously didn't know, but he completely denied that he would ever do such a thing. But when forced to make a choice, that was something that was revealed, that was uncovered, that came, that came to light. So this is probably my favorite C.S. Lewis quote of all time. It's from his book, A Grief Observed. My idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered time after time. He shatters it himself. He is the great iconoclast. Could we not almost say that this shattering is, a, is one of the marks of his presence? The incarnation is the supreme example. It leaves all previous ideas of the Messiah in ruins. And most are offended by the iconoclasm. And blessed are those who are not. 
There will come a point in time when Jesus will offend you. Because the story he's writing is different from the one you expect of which you are the author. And the question is, what will you then do? To whom will you go? What is your life about? What is your story? Now I think, I propose <laughs> to you, if Jesus had fought in the way Peter expected him to, I think he would have been there with him. He would have lived, he might have even lived up to what he said. Remember, Peter had a sword with him. <laughs> he was ready maybe, maybe to fight to the death. But then Jesus says to him, what? He says, put away your sword. How do I fight without a sword? Now what? Now my question is this, does Jesus not fight at all? No. The point isn't that Jesus didn't fight. Jesus did not not fight. I know that's a double negative. It's against the rules, but you get what I mean, I trust. Jesus conquers. Jesus crushes the serpent's head. Jesus overcomes the world. Jesus slays the dragon. Jesus fights differently with different goals. Jesus isn't interested in fighting for the things that we ordinarily fight for. What Peter was ready to fight for, what you and I are ready to fight for, is temporary and superficial. Every conflict we participate in involves sinful, suffering, dying people, facing judgment on their way to hell, fighting over finite resources. <laughs> it changes nothing. It changes absolutely nothing. What Jesus fights for is eternal and complete, of ultimate and lasting value. What Jesus fights for changes the world. For what Jesus fights for and gives his life for is the conquest of the human heart to make it his own. Though Peter didn't know it, Jesus was fighting for Peter. Jesus fights for you. He fights to make you his. He fights to have a people who are his. What Jesus fights for is a holy people who are wholly his. He fights to conquer that place so that he might reside as supreme right here at the core, at the center of your being's friends. What do you fight for? What do you give everything for? What do you devote yourself above all to? To whom will you go? What is your story? Is it the victory, the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ down to the depths of your soul and through him to others? Is it that his name would be hallowed and that his kingdom would come and that it will, his will would be done? What do you live for? Are you fighting Jesus' way for what Jesus died and rose again to give you? He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their, for their sakes died and was raised to life. Now we turn to the heart of God, or more pro properly, the heart of the God-man. So they leave, they go to the garden, and it says, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him. He knows what Peter is going to do. He's told him. He knows what they're all going to do. They're all going to abandon him. And yet he brings them close to him. He remains completely committed to them and for them. Basically, he's saying, 
You're going to fail me. You're going to abandon me. You're going to deny me, and I want you to come with me. I want you, I want you to be with me. What I'm doing makes provision for your failure. <laughs> what we do instinctively doesn't have a place for loving, being committed to those who deny us, those who fail us. That's not part of any of our stories. That's not how we write our stories. But, that's the, but that is the story that Jesus is the author of. He makes a family, a kingdom, a people of such people, of you and me, of people who are going to fail, of people who are going to fall, of people who are going to just miserably get it wrong. He says, you come with me in my greatest hour of need. I want you to be with me, and I want to be with you. It says this in John's Gospel. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He's committed to you to the end all the way through. He loves you to the end, knowing all about you. His love is steadfast, unfailing, always and forever, enduring all of your sin and enduring through all of his suffering. To whom will you go? What is your story? Then in the next few sentences, we read among the most remarkable words that have ever been written. He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is overwhelmed. He is deeply distressed. The word troubled here means amazed, astonished. What was it that overwhelmed Jesus, that amazed him, that astonished him, that horrified him? Jesus stared into and beheld and had to send upon him your sin and my sin and all of our sin. The condition of every human being except for himself. This is the horror, the awfulness, the ugliness, the depravity, the godlessness of sin. This is what caused the Son of God to drop to his knees in anguish and to have that absorbed into his very own perfect soul. This is what can you this is what astonished Jesus. That's the word that he was abased. That is as the reality of what this was started to descend upon him and really overtake him. He was astonished at what it, at, at the sinfulness of sin. Can we take to heart what brought such horror and astonishment into Jesus' heart? Can we hate and detest and with the help of God's spirit through faith separate ourselves from that which is so hideous and awful, our sin? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the kind of insight into your sin that's so repulsed, that's so amazed, that's so astonished, our Lord and King. May you be astonished at sin. And may you be astonished and amazed at the one who bore your sin at the same time. 
As Jesus has our sin fall upon him, he experiences separation from God, darkness, hopelessness, despair, the holy wrath of God, the opposition and anger of God towards sin. That's what's in front for him and within him, overtaking him and crushing him. And it is awful. Yet he holds on. He holds on. As he loved his own to the end, he loves his father to the end. And what does he say? Abba, not what I will, but what you will. This is what makes him who he is. In the crucible, in the fire, he perseveres. And he can help you to do the same in your crucible, in your fire, when you're facing what you believe is impossible. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He's the author. Not you, not me, not any of us. What is your story? Fix your eyes on Jesus, who saw joy on the other side of sorrow, who saw joy through the sorrow. Friends, that's the only way to joy. It's the only way to joy. There is no other way to joy except to follow Jesus wherever he leads you through sorrow, and out the other side. So going back to verse 28. After Jesus says to his disciples that he will suffer and they will fall, he says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He's saying to them, this isn't the end. I will triumph. I will rise and I will gather you to myself so that my resurrection becomes your resurrection. And he said this to them repeatedly. He actually said in Mark's gospel, he says it to them in Mark 8, he says it to them in Mark 9, and he says it to them in Mark 10. Right? I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and on the third day I will rise. But they can't hear it. Why? Because he's telling them a story that they can't accept. We can't hear you. Uh, once he starts talking about the suffering and all the bad stuff, they're like, blah, 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 blah. blah. You know, they, it's, it sounds like gibberish to them. It sounds like nonsense. So they therefore... So that although there's an amazing promise of resurrection, they can't hear it. Why? Because it's death to resurrection. It's suffering to glory. It's humiliation to exaltation. And they have other plans. Do you have other plans? Can you accept his plan that he's already perfectly executed, that he offers to you? Can you hear the fullness of his promise that comes about in a way that you, would, yet you don't expect in a way that you wouldn't write, in the way that you wouldn't want it to be. Friends, it's the only way. It's all over the Bible. The story of the Bible, the story of the world, is deliverance from sin through suffering. First his, and then yours in him. You will face dread. You will face darkness. You will face distress. And if you face them without the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be crushed, overwhelmed, destroyed, and you will experience a despair that never, ever, ever runs out. What's your story? But if when he says to you, come with me, 
And you do, even in weakness, even in trembling, you come with him in whatever condition that you may be in, then he will be with you all the way through. His goodness, his love, his victory, his authority, his wisdom, his power, his glory for your good. So that whatever you experience, you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Whatever sufferings you may, may come your way will make you like him and will work his resurrection power in you and through you. Because of Jesus, because he was crushed, because he was overwhelmed for you, dread and darkness are not ultimately yours. That is not the end of your story. Despair doesn't get the last word. Joy does. And that joy is worked into you as you go the, through the things in life that even tempt you to despair. That resurrection power, that resurrection promise, that resurrection joy, his accomplishment. He says, in this world you will have trouble. That is a given. That is an absolute truth of life. Then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is your unbreakable hope and your indestructible promise. What are you facing? What are you dealing with? What are you afraid of? What do you dread <laughs> above all else when you think when you imagine life, when you imagine the way, when you think about the way the life is now, and when you imagine the way my life might be and not the way that you are writing your own story, when it doesn't come about, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Our light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal glory that far surpasses them all. Jesus says, I will rise and I will go before you. Remember those words. Remember those words. Hide them in your heart. Right? It's important, I think, as believers to walk around with some verses that are accessible to us at any time. There's a reason to memorize scripture. There are some verses, maybe this is one of them, I will rise and I will go before you. Learn to remember in your moment of distress, in your moment of temptation, in your moment of weakness. To whom will you go? What is your story? May it be the story of the author himself who loves you to the end. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Lord, we thank you and we praise you because you are the author of a story that none of us would have ever written or imagined. Thank you for entering into the story that we tried to write apart from you that went horribly wrong and bringing yourself into it to bear all of the awfulness, all of the darkness, all of the dread, all of this the hideous godlessness of sin and to have it crush you and come out the other side to bring us who believe in you with you Lord, we don't know ourselves, but you know, Sovereign Lord, you know. 
Search our hearts, O Lord, and lead us in the way everlasting. May we be astonished at our sin, and even more so astonished at you, our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Thank you. Thank you, you who is the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before you endured the cross. May we follow you wherever you lead us. And in our hour of distress, in our hour of trouble, you who endured everything but without sin, may you help us in our time of need as we draw near to you to find mercy and grace. We look to that day, Lord, when we will see you face to face. May you advance us towards that day when your victory, you have gone ahead of us and you have triumphed, O Lord. We look forward to that day. Be with us and strengthen us until then. Amen.